You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. Another podcast review shout out. This is from listener Oscar Malia. This listener said, I think this podcast is valuable because of the growing need of these insights and experiences to be shared with those curious about homeschooling, currently homeschooling, and grandparents seeking to support or learn more about homeschooling. That is spot on with one of the missions of the show, so I really appreciate the review. Welcome back, everyone. Mike Roberts here with the Homeschool Dropout. This is maybe the most special episode we've had. I decided to bring on my mom, who obviously was a homeschool mom. I'm one of 10 kids, and so she's got a lot of experience and (laughs) definitely a veteran in the homeschooling world. So really glad you have time to jump on, Mom. You're welcome. There's so many things I want to dig into in this episode, and I think the best place to start is helping listeners contextualize your story in general. You did really well in the public system. You were a cheerleader in high school. You were very, very involved. You were in choir, NHS, student government, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) you have 10 kids that you're homeschooling. So that's that's a pretty big change. Pretty big change. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's all in all, it's about 30 years of homeschooling experience. Yeah. Kyle's 40 this year, and we started when he turned 12. So. Okay. Okay. So it's about 20 years. Yeah. 28 years ago. Okay. Funny. That's basically how old I am. You've been homeschooling. So that's about right. I kind of shared a little bit about your involvement in public school. You were an excellent student. Honestly, very sharp, very bright. I think that side of the family, your siblings are all very sharp people too. Yeah, we all enjoyed learning and discussing and we still do today. And so it is interesting that I would walk this path. And it's also interesting that I'm the oldest girl and I had a family already, but my sisters all went and got master's degrees and they all were all telling me that they weren't going to put their kids in school. That was one thing they weren't going to do. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I have all six of mine in school and I'm okay, whatever. But yeah, they had other experiences and doing other things and saw the world a little bit differently. And slowly but surely, they were part of why I made the change. It was a hard change for me because like you said, I loved public school. It was a big part of my life. And I loved the socialization that was there, but also the high achieving. I went to a high achieving high school and it was hard work. And you didn't just get an easy A, but I loved the classes and the classwork and all the extracurricular activities were just great too. I'd say you were successful both academically and socially. You were in prom royalty. So you just, you understood the system and you excelled in it. Well, I don't know if I understood it. Yeah, but I became, I was a big part of it. Okay. So what happened? I know that your sisters, my aunts, were starting to get exposed to homeschooling, but share with listeners what it took for you to finally take the plunge, and Mm. and then we'll go from there. Okay. So we have six kids. Your dad is starting a business. He's also very involved in his church service, and he coaches the teams that your brothers played on. And I was going crazy. There was so (laughs) much going on. You know, I was building castles out of sugar cubes. I was signing all these reading chart things every single day. The, The kindergartner went to school at this time, and then 
the elementary school kids would leave at this time. And then the junior high left at a different time. And by the time I got everybody out the door, they were starting to come back again. <laughs> I was like, what is my life? You know, and uh, I had goals and aspirations for my kids. And so after school, I would always feel like, okay, now they're mine, but they weren't because we had to do all this homework and there were chores to do and friends knocking on the door. And it was like, I don't ever have time to teach what I think is important. Only when they're tired, either before they go to bed or when they wake up early in the morning. And we did gather and read together as a family and do some studies in that way. But it was always like kind of a forced situation. <laughs> Are you really there? Or, you know, <laughs> sure. And so thought something was wrong. And I just was starting to become very dissatisfied with the, the situation at home and with what I was able to actually teach my children and what we were able to do. And I am, as you know, a religious person. And I got a very strong impression one day that what I needed to do is take my children out of school. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is the absolute wrong thing to do. Wrong <laughs> I, voice. Wrong voice. I had, <laughs> I had only one experience with homeschool family and they were weird. <laughs> I was not going there. So for three years, it seemed like I was bombarded with this idea and it was on the radio. It was on, it was everywhere I turned and it was like hitting me over the head and I was trying as hard as I could to just move it out of the way. It was not the answer. Mm -hmm. And a couple of things happened. Kyle was failing in school. That's that's your older brother. Yeah. And he was in the fifth grade. Let me actually contextualize this for listeners a bit. So I'm one of 10 and Kyle is the second oldest brother. He is, I think he's 10 years older than I am. And mm -hmm. so I'm towards the end of the family. I'm the seventh of 10. Just so listeners see that dynamic of yeah, one of my yeah. older brothers that was, he was bored in school, I think. Oh, yes, he was. Well, but we didn't know that. All we knew was he was failing. And so your dad took him to class. He pulled the chair off the table, sat him <laughs> down. You will do your homework, you know, because he never did his homework. And so he's looking at all of his reports and grades and stuff. And Kyle was scoring in the 90s on all the tests. And he had a zeros on all the homework. And he just, he always had like this photographic memories, kind of like my brothers. And, and he was truly bored. And he says to me, this kid is bored. He's not challenged at all. That's the problem. And we didn't really know what to do. We talked to the teacher. He says, yes. He says, I would be happy to recommend him to go to the seventh grade next year. And I thought, no way. <laughs> I don't want him in junior high before he has to be there. And then the other thing that happened was they built a new elementary school. And so I was very excited because classroom sizes were huge, you know, like 36 per class, one teacher, sometimes an aide. And I was seeing the bedlam in some of these classes and I was thrilled. I thought, oh, good. We're going to get down to 20 kids, you know, maybe a few more. But what they did instead is they kept the class sizes large and just closed the classrooms. I was furious. <laughs> I just thought, what is that? You know, so, so that made me upset. And I thought, no, these kids aren't getting what they need. There's too much going on. And so anyway, my sister, she's at a conference, calls me up. She says, I've been thinking about you all day. I don't know why, but I think you need to be here. And I says, well, where are you? And she says, I'm at a homeschool convention. And I went, no, don't <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> so I, I couldn't just ignore that. You know, it's it coming at me too many different ways. So your dad and I, we decided 
we got this issue with Kyle and we aren't happy with class sizes and maybe it's the answer. Maybe that's what we should do. So we took some time separate from each other, not talking to each other, just pondering, praying, thinking about, is this the right thing for our family? And so we got together after a couple of days and we both felt it was that we should make this leap of faith and offer homeschooling to our kids. And it was crazy because we both <laughs> felt amazingly freed when we made that decision. Like this huge weight had been lifted from our shoulders. It was the oddest feeling that I didn't understand for a long time, but we both felt it. So that was in June. We get to September and I'm freaking out <laughs> because we had told the kids, okay, this is what we want to do but you will not be forced to do this. You can decide on your own. So you take time, you think about it, you pray about it, you do whatever you need to do, let us know. If anyone had decided they want to stay in school, well, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I was hoping they would. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm asking. Were you hoping for like an out? Like, oh, we no. tried, we let them choose, they said no. No, no, no. I knew that we were we should do this, but I also knew that we couldn't force any of our children. We had an eighth grader all the way down to kindergarten and it had to be their decision. They had to buy in. And we were very honest about what we felt that, you know, we were doing. And Mark, he said, Hey, I want to give it a try. He was going into the eighth grade. I'm sure he has his own reasons for making that decision, but he made that decision. And then it was like a domino effect. And the rest of them just went, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> all of them. And so that was overwhelming to me. I was hoping I could get started with two or three. Oh, <laughs> and just ease into it. Yes. No, you were all yes. in. Yeah, all in. And so I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? And I was very, very worried. I, I didn't have a guidebook. I didn't even know anyone really that could help me out. And I reached out to a national homeschool newsletter mm. and I started reading that. And it was women, at, mostly women, but all over the country and their stories. And I would read these stories and they were my story. And I was like, cool. oh my gosh, cool. this is amazing. So a lot of people were being impressed to do the same thing that <laughs> we had done. You know, and I'm I'm thinking of the potential listener who is having those same feelings and thoughts that you have been having, that you had, and yeah. now they're listening to this episode. And uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening and you're starting to feel it again. I yeah, I don't know. I just think there's it a means reason. something. It means something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I have over the 28 years just come across different women here or there who just will open up a conversation with me. And before we know it, we're talking about this and then they just unload on me all <laughs> that they've been going through and all their fears and all this stuff. And I just look at them and tell them, you can do it. <laughs> I know cool. exactly where you are. Cool. So yeah, it is. It's been cool. So anyway, that's what we did. And I was a complete failure for at least six months because I was scared to death. And I thought that I could public school my kids, you know, ring the bell in an hour, everybody get out your math book. And it was, I was told not to do that to unschool them, to let them be free for a bit. And I thought, no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so, but I was wrong. So for the first six months, it was not fun. And as I got back down on my knees and said, this is not working. All I could feel is you need to change. <laughs> I was in the way. My, my own background and my own compulsory education was in the way. 
And it did take some time, some years for me to relax and get rid of that and adopt a philosophy that was really wonderful. <laughs> so. Yeah, you had to unschool yourself. And it's making me think of, I haven't talked about this with you. Have you read John Taylor Gatto? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so I'm reading his Dumbing Us Down right now. Uh -huh. And it's just giving me the creeps. Um, <gasps> <laughs> it really is. It really is giving me the creeps, the way he articulates his critique. I don't want to derail too much, but you mentioning that there were still bells and schedules and timelines on how long you could learn math. And then you have spent too much time on geology. Now you need to go do something else. It's yeah, a lot it, of control. <laughs> yeah. Learning's more dynamic than that. And it flows right. differently. Right. And I was so scared to death that I had to teach him everything in the first year, <laughs> oh, you know, because I don't know what the eighth grader needs. And then the sixth grader and the fourth, you know, I was so like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? And so anyway, I did take me some time to unwind and I didn't have the resources that yeah. are available today. I didn't have the help. I didn't have really anybody that I knew in the close area. It took years for that to begin to happen. And it finally did. And it was very helpful to me, but I went to lots of conferences and mm. yeah. And I actually received the best philosophy that first year. And I completely rejected it because I was so indoctrinated with how I learned. And Thomas Jefferson education was introduced to me then. And I simply said, well, that's ridiculous. No child is going to learn anything unless you force them to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I came from that compulsion. And, you know, you got to make them learn. You got to require it or they're not going to learn. And so that's not that philosophy. It's a very freeing philosophy. And For listeners, by the time I came along, we were finally implementing more Thomas Jefferson education, like my mom was saying, there's, I think, three main stages. There's the core phase where kids are just allowed to be kids and they explore and they learn from nature and they learn from the basics of, of like consequences in the world. If you touch fire, it's hot, you get burnt, you know, just like basics in the understanding of the world and then tons and tons of play. And then they move into love of learning where it's more focused learning. Oh, you got burned. Let's learn about fire. Then let's learn about geology. You have to add things sometimes. And I think it's very contextualized. And then after that, you move into scholar phase. And so there's three main phases of learning, but the baseline of it all is you have to build those levels consecutively core, then love of learning, then scholar, because they inform each other. And if they're allowed to be expressed fully, then by the time the student is in high school, the students directing their own learning. It's the scholar phase. They're hungry for information and they understand that the world is vibrant and they can be curious and learn things. And um, I don't know, that was my experience with Thomas Jefferson education. Very different from the public model. Right, right. Very different. And you just said it perfectly. And I'm so glad that us not even talking about that before, you understand those phases, you went through them and it is what you were doing as a teenager and they taught us as we learned about this philosophy if you don't allow the child to play and play and play and play until he's ready to learn then when they're older they will just eat it up this learning thing what happens is they will hate learning 
and they will live to play when they get to be the teenager. <laughs> and I well, thought, and oh adults and adults. <laughs> yeah. Adults that all they want to do is play because they yeah, entertain me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to give as the advice and you did it so well too. allow little ones to play and you living on a farm here. You've seen that. What is the kitten doing? What is the yeah. puppy doing? And being observed by the mother all the time, even the chicks, everything is playing the cows in the field, but they're all practicing to be big cats or yeah. big dogs, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to let our children play and play and play and play and imagine and wonder and explore. And really that core phase, it's like you said, that is the foundation. And it is so important. If you don't get the core, the rest of it isn't going to follow, not smoothly like we want it to, but it's the time you teach and train basic foundational principles for first and foremost life skills, relationships, they need to learn to be obedient. What is right? What is wrong? What the expectations of family life is and virtues, all of those things. Of course, learning can happen, but you're working together with these little ones to make their bed and clean their room and do all of those things that are life skills. And that's done every day. They are with you just like a little kitten is with his mom. And learning should be a part of that, but it should be fun and games like singing songs and reading books and doing puzzles together and exploring their little world and looking at that little spider on the sidewalk <laughs> as long as they want, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and games, games, games. Nothing is compulsory at this age. Nothing in an academic way. In an you there you go. Yeah. As yes. far as like, there is still an expectation. And I think what you're really focusing on in the core phase, and I don't want to kind of derail too much, but it is a sense of like who you are as an individual, that you have value, you have worth, and that your life will be better and beautiful if you have integrity, if you're honest, if you're obedient, if you are kind, yes, are kind, all those you things. know, and so- Showing, share. <laughs> exactly. And so that's really the essence of the core phase. And I was out on the Oregon coast this past weekend and I was walking one of the beaches and they're just beautiful, beautiful mm -hmm. beaches. Mm -hmm. And I saw this little family and the kids were just running around. So I don't, I don't know if they're homeschooled, but I loved seeing these kids, you know, they're just out there and they were following around their parents. And I <laughs> was like, that is so cool that they just get to be out there. So yes, um, it's unusual to see families together anymore. We're so split apart. So split apart. For listeners as well, I personally thrived under Thomas Jefferson education. It is a model that worked really well for me. I don't know if it worked super well for all of my siblings as I've talked to them. But what I mean to say there is every philosophy will have its trade-offs. And I think if you understand each child, then you can play to their strengths because Montessori has good strengths and Waldorf has good strengths and Charlotte Mason. That's the beauty of homeschool is you get to specialize the education. Right. And Thomas Jefferson is not a curriculum. It is not. It's a philosophy. And so you can use all those other things in conjunction with Thomas Jefferson education. And even the public school can work in conjunction because we're just talking about phases of learning. We're not really talking about a specific curriculum. Good point. You know? Why don't we transition into another area that I'm very curious about? You were in many ways alone in your homeschooling. There were a couple families I remember growing up that we would go on field trips with, but it was not like it is now where you can get on Instagram and find a co-op or find a group that meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was um, the early days of homeschooling. Yeah. How did you handle 
the, I don't know, the awareness that you were choosing something that was not normal, that was not common, and the occasional comments from parents, friends, relatives. How was that and how did you manage all those? It was an interesting thing because you don't realize how negatively it, it could be looked at by other people. And I'm sure my children heard a lot more comments than I did. And they heard a lot of them from their friends who I knew were listening to comments their parents were making <laughs> about our family. Sure. You know, we sure. have a big family, a lot of kids, and there were 40, 40 kids on our street. And then we are homeschooling all of a sudden. And so that was alarming to some. I had one mother come up to me and tell me that it was wrong for me to do what I was doing, <laughs> that to pull my children out of school was to take the opportunity for my children to be a good influence on others and to help others. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so my kids are responsible for bringing yours up? I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know what she was trying to say, but yeah. she was very strongly opinionated that way. And I got a lot of times the impression that it was un-American and that unpatriotic or something like that, that I would do such a thing. Yeah. And then grandparents was a little bit hard. I remember um, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and they were always checking up on you, giving you yep. uh, quizzes. And <laughs> Pop quizzes, multiplication, <laughs> random facts. And yeah. I think it happened more with the older siblings because yeah. when I was around, it was just like, look, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. And really you were turning out to be some pretty awesome kids. He kind of had just seen things in a different light and thought, well, I like who they're becoming. Yeah. And that was really what my goal was in the end. I realized that I wasn't going to create academic giants and I just needed to relax about that. <laughs> and so there's no GPA here. And so what I wanted was that mantra that we talked about. And the coolest thing about homeschooling as I look back on it is that you all became that. You all became those kind of people, men and women of virtue, integrity, diplomacy, that loved learning, that inspired others and moved the cause of liberty. That's who you became. That's who you are. Cool, awesome kids who became <laughs> that. And so some of you are academic giants too, which is pretty cool. And builders and hairdressers and electrician and, you know, just got everything going on. And it's, it's way cool. Dad has a Juris Doctorate. He has a higher yes. education. But there was never this idea that we were going to be academic, hardcore, go to Ivy League schools and work in corporate America and be lawyers and doctors and everything. As I've met more people in my adulthood and learned more about family cultures, it's become very clear to me that you and dad in our homeschooling environment never emphasized that was never ever emphasized that i remember but there's huge emphasis on you better be good people and you better give back to your communities and you better have integrity in everything that you do and so that was the emphasis that i really remember and then i think our personalities worked through that i myself i always knew from a very young age I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to a tough college. I wanted to graduate and go out into the world. That has always been my course. But I look at the siblings and we've, we have differences. Our personalities were able to express and we've chosen different courses. And I really like that individuation that there was no expectation that you had to do X career. 
whatever you do, you just better be very good at it and be a very <laughs> good person. Yeah. And if I could say an, another thing too, that's really important. And it is that there is no one right way. Like we, we have said before, there's no one right way. There's a lot of great ways. And your podcast has shown me that, oh my gosh, all these mothers are so different and all mm. of us have different reasons. And these kids who you're, uh, well, grown adults now who you're interviewing are so remarkable. And I just love that. I love that we could be so imperfect in our desire to give our kids what they need and what was the best. And look what they become. It's just so cool. But I do want to say that you need to take time to ponder and deeply consider each child observe them while they're young. And I mean, take time away, go on a little retreat yourself with no one else and think and ponder about your children, write about them. What are their strengths, weaknesses? How do they learn best? What are their gifts? What are their interests? What are their passions, their talents? And not any two of them will be the same. Even your twins are probably not exactly the same. So you have to ask yourself, how you can provide and support and find the right mentoring to develop all of those great attributes that each of your children have and came with. <laughs> so anyway, I would do that. That was one thing I would do. And I would, I would take a look probably twice a year at what was going on in each child's life and was it right? And I wasn't always, you know, we're hearing some feedback. Oh, I wish it had been this. I wish it had been that. And I honestly will say that I have said to one of them, I would never change what I did because it was not my goal for you to become ready for the corporate world. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you are a deep thinker and you can challenge prevailing assumptions. You don't take things at face value and you can learn and figure out anything you want. <laughs> my first thought is it's a passionate work for a parent to do. It's a work of passion. That's what I mean to say is to spend that time reflecting on your kids and then to go back and pour your energy into that. I don't have kids. I'm like, gosh, that is exhausting. That is, <laughs> you know, just like building people is so exhausting, but rewarding. Yeah, but we have to be careful not to make them into what we want them to be. That That's a fine line there. It is good to remember your kids are a canvas for themselves to paint on and not for you to paint on. So that's my first reflection is that, geez, that's so much work. And then the second one that I'm thinking of is, I think working with your children and you and dad did this on what are their specific goals. I knew I wanted to go to college. And so I, I was very focused. That is where I was headed. Todd, just under me, didn't have that same goal. And so what he did with his time and his education was different and it was still very valuable. Yes. Yes. And when he was in high school, we put him in an MATC program and he built a home. Yeah. Which is, it's a technical school. Right. And what is he doing today? Yeah. He's, he's building homes. <laughs> constructing <laughs> away, right. getting his, yeah. yeah it, exactly. it was what we really liked. I think in that process of reflecting on your children, I think including them and saying, here are all the ways you can live your life. Here are all the ways you can build your life. Here are all the things you can do. What interests you? How do we get you there? Because right, right. We, yeah, there's yeah. such a, an obsession now with college degrees and credentials and work at these big company names that is just very, for me, very empty, very superfluous. 
And in our family, it was that you had to be an athlete. Okay. That's and so, true. That's right, true. Right. And I said to your older sister, just because your name is Roberts does not mean you have to play basketball. <laughs> and <laughs> she said, what? And I said, yeah. I don't think you like it that much. And I said the same thing to you. Yeah, too. I had to let go eventually. Yeah. And I really had to encourage you to take a look over here. And you were giving me a hard time because you were telling me absolutely you were not going to become a music major. I said, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Mm -hmm. But you love this. Why don't you go try it? And you did. And oh, my gosh, what you became. It was so amazing. You can see that in them. If you just observe, you can tell that that's just really kind of not it for them. They don't have to do what dad did. For me personally, it was hard to let go of in high school and realizing that I could chart my own path and it was still a worthwhile path. I think that's just adolescence in general, where you don't have a strong sense of self all the time. One approach you and dad took was you did not see homeschooling as, you know, salvation, as this is the only way to do this now. You were not absolutist about it. And I'm curious, in third grade, when I got to third grade, there was a decision to put me back in the public system. So everyone was at home, but I was going to third grade. Can you speak to, I don't know exactly what drove that. Well, I think a couple of things did. You were kind of shy. But we also lived in this neighborhood where there were only girls your age. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> there true. was no boys. There was one and boy. Yeah. Not for a while. That boy didn't move in for a long time. And it was also, you kind of are in a kind of a, you're number seven, but you're three years from that one and three years from that one. True. So you asked me to go, you know, you really oh, wanted I? to go. Yeah. Really? You wanted to go. Uh-huh. And I made you a deal. I said you could go for a year. And then we would bring you home. <laughs> oh, so, no kidding. I yeah. don't even remember that. Yeah. And you did make friends and had a great time and a great experience. And I went to the parent-teacher conference and you did have a good teacher. And I, I really yeah, liked she was her great. a lot. Yeah, she was really and, good. And she really enjoyed her relationship with you was very good too through the years, even after. And mm -hmm. she was really upset with me for taking you out again, but. <laughs> But you scored on this test, the standardized test. The one score that she just couldn't stop talking about was his awareness of the world around him. And you were <laughs> off the chart. And he, she says, most kids are all the way back here, you know, like two points, but he's off the chart. And I could only attribute that to your constant exposure at home to all your older brothers and sisters, to the whole world, to all our field tripping to everything we did as a family. We did a lot of service projects and you became exposed to all of that. I don't even remember asking, but I do remember I was so excited to be there. I really liked being there, but also for some reason, I have no memory of after that year was done, I was not mad about coming home. It was just like, okay, I'm home now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of, I mean, I was eight years old. So how much do you really retain? But something else you brought up that's interesting is I'm learning this from John Terragato is the age segregation may not have the benefits that we assume it has. It I was doesn't. exposed yeah. to people of all ages who are doing different things, learning. I was learning what my older siblings were learning constantly. Because uh -huh. that's just what was happening. We were all learning together. Yeah. All those pictures, you're sitting there listening, you're watching, you're observing things much older than what you would normally be capable of doing. And that's just how it is. And it's more real 
Because yeah. really, in your work world, are you all the same age? In any world, except yeah. public school, which is you're being raised by your peers. And that's not so good. Well, and now I'm reflecting on the reverse side, the older siblings get to repeat concepts because, well, I don't know addition yet, but they do. And so they're mm -hmm. repeating concepts. Mm -hmm. I'm just now reflecting on that advantage, that really special advantage. And then if homeschoolers can find co-ops where you can heighten that experience and you're just, you are just growing up with people and not just 30 kids in your class. Yeah. Yeah. I had one. It's, it was a church group. They went somewhere and the woman who was driving in the charge of the group, she came up to me after the trip and said, I really appreciate your daughter. I just want you to know she's the only one that'll talk to me. I said, <laughs> what? She said, yeah, she was okay to sit in the front seat. And we just had these great conversations. I just can't talk to the other girls like that. It's like, they don't, they can't uh, do that. Generation <laughs> gap. Yeah. Right. It never existed in our home, in our family, because it just wasn't peer related and pushed. And we did things with adults all the time. And so, yeah, it's a better way. Yeah. I think there's tremendous trade-offs there. Yeah. It's healthy. Let's say that it's yeah. more natural. It's more natural. It's more natural. Yeah. I, I would argue clearly this is more natural. Mm -hmm. So do you have any regrets about choosing to homeschool? Well, certainly I have regrets about how I homeschooled and how it all went at times, but no, I feel so grateful that I hung in there and I worked through all my fears, all my challenges is the hardest thing I did in my life. And it was the best thing. It was the most rewarding and I wouldn't change homeschool. I would change a lot about how I did it, hmm. being able to look back, but no, it was the right thing for us. I know it was the right thing for me. And so I like, I'm tremendously grateful that you stuck it out because it, it really was, I got the education I needed for myself. And so I can say that for me. And you're still getting it, which is so amazing. Yeah. Still it's getting continuous. It, it didn't mm -hmm. end when I turned 18, didn't end after my undergrad, didn't end after my master's. And you're still doing those odd things like homeschool. What did you recently do? You recently went to the Mises Institute oh, and got a I mean, scholarship to go there. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> that's I, amazing. Yeah, it, but it was the that's all coming from we were taught that learning is a it's part of being alive, mm -hmm. is learning, and so yeah, it was. I mean, it's been very natural to segue into that, and so I, I think the challenge with homeschooling is you don't see the fruits for years. For years and years and years. And so I think parents listening who are, you know, looking at the abyss and nervous to jump in because you don't know what the other side looks like. This is what the other side can look like. Not all homeschooling is the same. Some kids really struggle, but I would say the vast majority of us are okay. Yes. Yes. And I'm just going to say some of my regrets so they don't make the same mistakes. I wish I hadn't been so compulsory in my learning. I wish I had used Thomas Jefferson education philosophies when it first was introduced to me mm. and I needed to be more patient with my kids because not all of them were ready to learn what they needed to learn when I thought they needed to learn it. <laughs> and so that I would change. absolutely. But it sounds like more letting go. 
Yeah, more letting go. But the things that we accomplished together as a family because we homeschooled were amazing. We studied countries. We played games. We made strong bonds. We did house and yard work. You guys were so good at life skills, field trips, snow days. Remember the snow days? That wouldn't have happened. Gardening, memories. Um, Okay, the cow's mooing. I guess we're done. (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll kind of wrap up here, but appreciate your time, Mom. So glad you stuck through homeschooling and it set a really good example, I think, for the whole family. I think everyone with kids has homeschooled for a little bit. So that that says something, you know, about the choice. I'll let you go, but I will be headed home here, I think, in a week or two. So we'll see you in a little bit. Okay. Good to talk to you. Okay. Thanks, Mom. Hey listeners, if you enjoy the homeschool dropout, the best way to support the show and increase its value to you and other homeschoolers is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So head there now and we'll see you next week.